Hi, this is Tim Krolski. You've gotten to know some of Garner's folks personally through my podcast. Now it's time for you to hear about the ever-changing things happening in the trucking industry. From regulations to technology to customers and the daily life of a trucker, it's time to hear from the folks on the road and the people off the road who provide support. What will your perspective be? Will you agree with the thoughts of others? Find out when you come with me on Garner Trucking's Beyond the Cab. Hello and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cab. Today we're going to talk about um, a relatively new issue in, in trucking as far as a drug and alcohol clearinghouse is concerned. We've had one in place for about a year and um, we're starting to see some of the effects of what that actually means and what the impact's going to be for the, for the trucking industry. And with me today, I have our HR director, Barbara Zimmerman, who is full of wealth and knowledge on the, on the subject and, and many other subjects along the way. Um, the Clearinghouse actually allows trucking companies to access drug test results for other, uh, from drivers. So you can see on a national level what those results were for a driver. It closes a loophole actually that allowed drivers with drug or alcohol test violations to hop from one carrier to another previous to having that in place. Um, that clearinghouse also identifies drivers who move jobs frequently, which that's also a helpful thing, especially if you're a reputable employer. You want to make sure you're putting the best possible individual and the safest possible individual behind the wheel of the truck. Uh, those ro- results do get recorded, and uh, even if a driver isn't registered, they actually go, go into the clearinghouse. Is that about sum it up, Barb? That does sum it up. Um, so... Th- uh, the testing facilities do have to send the information whether a driver driver registers or not. Um, in now, when we hire somebody, we are required to run that um, report um, when somebody's hired. So even if you're not registered, if you're looking for a job, you actually have to register because we're not allowed to hire until they do so. Okay, I, that's a another another little wrinkle to that. Yep. Um, Outside of the uh, outside of the clearinghouse, uh, as a, as far as registration, what else can you what else can you share with us about that particular program? I mean, it started back in January of uh, uh, 2020. Correct. So we're a little over a year yep. now. Um, there wasn't any information in there before, so we've kind of gone from no information to everything forward so people are now um, getting results and information and it it, for us as as a trucking company it's helping us hire the best and safest people out there because you don't want somebody that is um, you know abusing drugs or alcohol while they're they're driving and those kinds of things because they are a hazard um, on the road so you want to hire those individuals that are going to be an asset to your company and to the general public Um, because if we put somebody out there who has a problem because we don't know because they are one of those people that hop from job to jobs now we're putting um, other people's lives at risk as well as um, the company has a risk so this is helping us make those best decisions well and i think for trucking companies in general mm-hmm. it, it makes it um, 
uh, a no negligence type situation. I mean, you, the information's out there. It's your responsibility as an employer to know that. And here's the results of that. Correct. Yeah. And so it makes it a lot. Plus having it at the one, one location, um, it, it helps you get the information you need. Before, prior to the clearinghouse, to get that information, you had to go to each and every employer to get that information. So this makes it much simpler for us to get it in one area. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think what's interesting is, is, and really where I kind of wanted to lead the discussion today is what the overall impact of this is going to mean. You know, obviously there, the, there is a safety aspect, but there's kind of another thing that's started to happen over the last year. There's about 47,000 drivers who are now currently ineligible to operate a, a commercial motor vehicle as a result of having this clearinghouse. And the other side of that is, is a little more than half of those uh, are no longer able to drive mm -hmm. because of marijuana use. Okay. So in that world of marijuana at this point, we've got kind of this waterfall that's happening state by state um, where it's getting legalized for, for medicinal purposes first, and then what you see after that typically is that it's illegal for recreational use. We've got, uh, you know, as close as Michigan that has dispensaries and, 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 and these types of things. And again, here in Ohio, it's, it's, it's okay for medical use. But on a federal level, um, trucking companies have a different set of guidelines that we have to follow. So it's starting to create, I think, maybe this contrast between the driver that's making a bad decision based on the federal laws, but not on the state laws. And there's, I think, a lot of um, difficulty with those two things at this point. So as that relates to the clearinghouse, what, what's your opinion on that, Barb? Well, um, I, I, you have to go back to, um, to think about um, federal law in general. So yes, the marijuana thing is up front and interfaces um, because of all of the, the legalization across the nation. There have been for years legal drugs um, that you can go to your doctor and you can get a prescription for um, previous to marijuana that still would keep you as a truck driver from if you took that medicine you couldn't you couldn't drive, you drive yeah. so marijuana is now in that same instance so it's no different than any of the other medications that um that the federal government you know doesn't allow drivers to use and operate a commercial motor vehicle and there's reasons that they don't allow these to operate a commercial motor vehicle is because we're still thinking about safety right. um, and so even with the marijuana I think the only way that that this would change is if they came up with a um, a um, test that could discern whether or not you are actually impaired mm -hmm. and um, until they can do that I think they're going to continue to um, view it as no you're not going to be allowed to use it um, once that they can figure out you know are you impaired then they might have other rules that will come into play 
Well, and I definitely want to circle back to that thought process, too, mm-hmm. as far as the testing. But um, as, as you kind of take a look at what's happened in our industry over the last several years, there really is a shortage out there. We have this gap that happens from, you know, 18 to 21, 18 yep. to 22 years of age where individuals find other paths for, for careers. So we lose out in that marketplace in terms of bringing those individuals in to drive uh, intrastate or interstate, excuse me. Um, you get into um, um, the projections towards the future. Um, gentlemen like Bob Costello with uh, the American Trucking Association says that by 2023, we could have as much as 105,000 uh, short in, in terms of drivers. Um, you've got COVID that had hit last year, and you've got uh, a, a definite deficit that's happened as a result of that. You've got 40% less students that graduated last year and that doesn't even count the um uh, department of transportation going to get your your license correct and and the downtime there you know the the um, bureau of motor vehicles i mean so we've got all of that in play and we're, we're talking driver shortage and whether whatever side of the fence you're on as far as it's not a shortage it's a shortage of pay or a, however you want to qualify that at the end of the day we don't have the drivers that we need inside the trucks and now we've added this clearinghouse to that right. mix for the right reasons well justified but we have these other things that are going on uh, in our country right now that um, are prohibiting now even more potentials correct you know yep. from from either getting well and getting back behind the wheel or um, uh, uh, or not even being considered or disqualified at all because of you know those those state-to-state marijuana laws so I guess in your opinion Barb does the clearinghouse add to the driver shortage or does it simply keep out the bad players? Is it that black and white? For me, I think it is more that black and white that it keeps out the people that we probably don't want to hire in the first place because then they become a hazard on the road um, and, and a hazard to not, you know, not to everybody that's out there, whether you're in trucking or not, they're a hazard. Um, does it con- contribute to the shortage? Yes, I think so in a roundabout way. Um, because we do need those drivers um, but do we really need those drivers that are unsafe I would like to attract more individuals that that want this as a career who can meet those safety requirements um, and how do we attract those people I think that's what we need to look at as opposed to necessarily okay we got the clearinghouse and now there's all these people that we can't hire because the clearinghouse says so well that's the whole purpose of the clearinghouse right so. Well, I, and I guess that goes down to, um, you know, our our philosophy here at Garner is, is there is a zero, zero tolerance. Yep. And uh, firmly stand by that thought process as far as how that works. Um, but there are other companies out there that will allow for um, changes to be made in one's lifestyle. And if they, you know, go through a certain set of steps that they can, you know, come back to work. Um, contingent on regular drug testing, you know, those types of situations. Um, And regardless of what those philosophies are, that particular path, I think, is a little bit more apt to maybe bringing someone back into the fold if they should choose to go back into that fold. Correct. I guess my consideration for all of that would be, okay, we've got um, over half of the individuals, you know, 25, 26,000, whatever that number is, that have tested positive for marijuana, and they're not coming back. 
No. You know, the, you know, there's only about 12%, I think, was the number. Yeah, it's not very much that's come back. It's, it's very light. So a, 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 another a kind of interesting dynamic, because i got to believe that there are carriers out there that may have a, a, a bit more lenient policy, or maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I think, I mean, I know there are some that do have a more lenient policy, and it may be something that we do need to look at about people who do want to come back um, because they have gone through the treatment program, and maybe that is something that the whole industry as a whole has to really consider more, because I know there are a lot of trucking companies just like us that have a zero-tolerance policy. Sure. Um, And maybe we have to rethink those zero-tolerance policies um, and allow for the treatment process if somebody really wants to stay. Um, so would that treatment, in, in your opinion, is that treatment um, based on the type of, of drug you're using? Is it, you know, okay, alcohol is legal, you did something behind the wheel you shouldn't have, um, you know, is, that, is there an opportunity there? Uh, or is that just a bad plan? Is it, um, okay, we can allow this for marijuana, but we don't allow it for anything else? I think if you're going to do allow people to come back with a treatment program, I think you have to allow it all. Um, I, I don't know that we can just wheedle out, oh, if, if, if it's marijuana because marijuana is becoming cle- legal across the nation, that you know we're gonna let you we're gonna let you go to treatment for marijuana but not necessarily for something else. I think if we're going to allow treatment programs, we have to consider all, all, all of, of it. it. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess the only reason I would even pose that question would be because of the fact that there's definitely a trend here that most states are stepping in another direction in terms of um, the, the legality or the level of legality that there is with marijuana. Correct. And maybe you can con- confirm or deny some of these numbers, but as I understand it, as of November 4th, which would have been right at Election Day or maybe a day before, there were 24 states that had uh, it was fully legal. Marijuana was fully legal. And that would be about right. 36 for um, 36 states that had it for medicinal purposes. Yep. 32 states have it decriminalized, decriminalized, and 24 states are have mixed. That's probably about accurate. I haven't looked at those numbers in a while, okay. but that that seems about accurate from what um, when I've done my research in, in the last year or so. So. Um, and it's going to only increase the number of states that are that are allowing this um, over as as time, time goes can, on, yeah, and that's what we've on. witnessed. We've seen mm-hmm. that over the last decade or so. Do you think that um, because of more stringent uh, um, requirements, uh, and I'm just keeping this in the vein of marijuana because I think it's probably the most apropos, um, that it deters new drivers from coming into the industry or that it um, it provides that um, that notion of safety and, and respect that we have for, for our drivers that are out on the road right now? I think it, I actually think that, that in, for some individuals, they're not going to come into the industry because it is not allowed um, and they want to do that. Um, mm-hmm. They look at it as in the same vein as alcohol. Alcohol is legal. Sure, you can't do it while you're driving or at work, but I can do it on the weekend when I want to. The problem with marijuana is the fact that it stays in your system, and we have no test to test for um, whether or not someone is impaired 
only that you've used it within the last however many days. So I really think that keeps a lot of people from doing it because I like, you know, smoking marijuana um, or whatever, or I have to use it for medicinal purpose or whatever. And so I'm just not going to go into the industry because I don't want to have to. You don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to have to deal with that. My government, you know, my state says I can do this. This is what I'm going to do. So this career is not for me. So that, I think, keeps some people out. But then you will have some other people who will be like, okay, I can give that up because this is what I want to do as a job. But um, I think that side may be a little bit less than, than the other. So do you feel that the separation between state laws regarding marijuana are good for trucking? No, I don't. I think that there needs to be a universal law um, um, governs the the use of it instead of having all these individual, because then you have to understand what each state has, where if we had a universal law, this is the rules, this is what it is, it would be simpler. I think because we have so many different laws from the different states, it makes it a little bit confusing and overwhelming for people. Yeah, especially on this topic. Yes. So, uh, in your opinion, what does the accountability of a higher minimum testing do for trucking companies? Because that's been another development that kind of, it wasn't a result of, but it's come really alongside of the clearinghouse. This mandatory minimum testing for motor carriers is now 50%. And that was in 2020 that that was enacted. Correct. And um, that was increased from 25? Right. Actually, when I first started in HR, um, it was 50% to start with. And then I think around 2017 or 2018, they lowered it to 25% because they weren't getting a lot of, of positive tests. Um, in 2020, they changed it back to the 50%. And I think it really does have a lot to do with how many states are um, legalizing it. Legalizing it it so Mm -hmm. that it can be caught, which, I mean, certainly those two items correlate very well with one another. You know, when you get down to the brass taxes of it, I I think there's, um, and we started this conversation this way, there's a definite gap here. And there's, to me, a a long-term problem that we have to address in some fashion or form. Um, and we can continue to take a, a stance at a federal level, but I think that the problem of um, legalization from state to state uh, of marijuana, that only gets worse as time goes on. There's only going to be more states that are added to that. Correct. So at some point, um, when does the federal side say, okay, we, <laughs> we've, got to, we've got to make some changes here, we, there's a call to action, whatever the case may be, at what point does that happen, and then what do you do in order to still be able to manage a safe operating fleet. And you kind of touched on this um, mm-hmm. about midway through our conversation here, but the, it's that testing piece. Correct. Because a current tests for marijuana or any drugs, uh, there's different timelines, correct? There's different timelines for when it's in your system, um, how soon or you know how, how late it, they can, can detect it. And so some drugs are out of your system very, very soon. Marijuana stays in your system for a very long time. And the more you use it, the longer it stays in your system. So it doesn't necessarily mean somebody is impaired. It just means that they've used it. Right. right. So I think they really do need testing um, to tell you whether or not that you're really impaired. So much like a, a breathalyzer. If, Correct. For example, if I were in an accident uh, uh, behind the wheel of a semi and uh, 
the, one of the first things that they're going to do if I'm the cause or you get vehicles towed away, I've got to go take a drug test. Correct. And as a part of that, I'm also going to take a breathalyzer. Yes, for alcohol. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that breathalyzer is going to tell within eight hours if I've had, is that yes, right? Yes, we have to test for within eight hours from the time of the accident. But the test itself will tell me. The test will itself will tell you how much you're basically impaired, that you do either have alcohol in your system or you do not have alcohol in your system. And, and that, the, uh, what's the timeline there? It says eight it, hours? So basically we have to do the testing within eight hours, but for every ounce of alcohol someone drinks, it takes an hour um, for it to metabolize through your system. Okay. So if you drink, say, four beers, which is each beer is considered um, an ounce of alcohol, um, you would need at least four hours to Based metabolize that. all that through your system. And the more you drink, the longer you actually need. So four hours is the bare minimum, but you may need actually five hours depending on your body size and type and all of that. How it well. metabolizes, yep. right? Exactly. Yeah, so, so what you would need to get it down to is in the same vein is uh, that, that drug test, that marijuana test that specifically targets that drug yes. and tells you, okay, within the last x amount of hours this has had this, this has def happened definitely yeah. happened exactly and i know that there's some testing like oral fluid testing that, that that they do have it's not it's not reliable enough though well, correct they're <laughs> all of the different testing that they have whether it be hair follicle the urine test or um the the oral test they all have their good aspects to it but they all have um, are infallible in some way. Okay. So maybe you need to take a little bit of all of these tests to make a different, more reliable test because I think all of the tests have um, their goods and bads to it. You know, some can detect because, like the hair follicle, they can tell even further back how long that you've use something right as opposed to the urine test may only be able to detect it within the last you know couple of weeks or something right but constructively if you're if, if you get to a point where you say okay we're we're going to legalize marijuana as a, yeah. on a federal level but you can't be intoxicated behind the wheel right what what does that need to look like you know to be able to take that test and, and test an individual in the event that they are impaired behind the wheel because that's, I mean, it's a, a, a legitimate concern for anyone that owns a truck. Mm -hmm. um, the last thing that you want to do is have any sort of impairment behind the wheel while you're driving it. Correct. But if it's a, a legal substance and it's a, you know, it's a Saturday night or whatever the case may be, um, it, there's got to be some sort of a balance there that you can actually test and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, like you can with a breathalyzer. Like you can with a breathalyzer, yes. So, and that that's the million-dollar question is, how do we develop this test? How can we tell there, you know, I think there needs to be more testing done. I don't think they've done enough testing on the uses of marijuana and how it affects people. Um, to be able to come up with a with a test like that, I think that they need to um, be doing more of this um, testing to see. Okay, this is what we need to do. This is what path we need to take to develop that test. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. There's still even some question as to how long um, the effects of marijuana will stay. And you know, what, okay, it may be in your system or it's out of your system. But what are the the effects? 
you know, and how long are you actually impaired? And, and see, and that's another question, even though, especially like with the legal um, um, medicinal purposes even, depends on who grows it, how they process it, what form it comes in, and how much are you really taking in your system depends on how long you're really going to be impaired. And we're still lacking in some of those um, control situations. Because even if, if you have the legal right because you have a medical, medical reason to, to use marijuana, um, you don't have a traditional type of prescription like you do with other medications you receive. Because say I, you know, I get Percocet um, for whatever, I have some back pain or something, um, the doctor tells me how much I can take of it, you know, whether it's 25 milligrams, 40 milligrams, however it comes, and how often I can take it. Marijuana doesn't have that. Right. So you have to put in some additional guidelines on what's going to be dispensed and how it's going to be dispensed. Um, and the same thing, you know, um, with, with the recreational as well, because it just depends on where you're getting it and what form you're getting it in. Well, and you know, that brings up another case in point as, as an advocate of, uh, of trucking and, mm -hmm. and driving safely, the number of fatal accidents where at least one of the drivers tested positive for THC, which is the active ingredient in yep. marijuana, increased nationwide by an average of 10% from uh, 2013 to 2016. So, you know, just over a few years' time. Mm -hmm. And during that time, you had states that were starting to legalize. Yep. Colorado and Washington actually legalized America in uh, America, <laughs> actually <laughs> legalized marijuana in 2014. Yep. Now, for them, for those two states, they had much different results. So that same time period, that 2013 to 2016, Colorado actually had uh, um, a marijuana-related traffic death rate of 92%. It shot up 92%. Wow. And in Washington, it, it increased by 28%. So since 2016, for both of those states, things have kind of leveled out. But that's a new level. Right. It is. So, I mean, if these if these percentages went up, you know, during that time frame and now we've 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 got a new set of levels that we're gauging things by. Correct. So there's really is something to consider there in terms of the safety of uh, an operation of vehicles. Now, that's all vehicles. That's not trucking. Right. You know, specific. So that, you know, that's uh, that's Johnny and Biff on the weekend, <laughs> you know, taking a little trip across the country or whatever the case may be that, you know, they're going to be the ones in that tally. Um. Can the trucking industry treat marijuana in the same fashion as alcohol? Um, I think, at the end of the day, what do you think? I think that that we can move towards treating it as we treat alcohol if we can devise a way to test for impairment. Because that's what we do for alcohol is we test for your impairment. Right. Um, and... Um, I think that's what they have to develop because just because you're off on the weekend and you, you, you know, you're at a party and you smoke some on Saturday, but you're at work on Monday morning, are you really impaired? Right. You probably are not, but it's still going to be in your system. And the testing that we have now, that's all it tests for is that it is in your system, does not test for your impairment. And that's where if we're going to include that and treat it like we do alcohol, that's the kind of test we have to come up with. 
appreciate that. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a Jerry Springer and have oh, some no. some <laughs> some closing <laughs> some closing statements. And I, I just want to kind of leave the podcast today with a few quotes on this particular topic. Topic. Um, Harold Summerford, uh, CEO for J and M Tank Lines, and uh, at one time was co-chair of the Controlled Substances Health and Wellness Subcommittee. I say that only because I am the new co-chair for oh, that particular for that particular subcommittee. Uh, that he told attendees on October 7th um, of last year at our uh, uh, annual ATA management conference and exhibition that an employee, employee in certain states can use marijuana on the weekend and come to work and take a random drug test and lose his employment and uh, a way of making a living. Whether or not that's right or wrong in people's minds, it's got to be addressed because the problem is coming our way. And I think those particular phrases um, really outline kind of the whole message here. We've, we've got to kind of take a, an active approach to things yeah. and be at the forefront as we, as we typically are as, a, as an industry. We try to be in front of this stuff. So um, certainly an important topic to discuss, and there's going to be more to develop. And I feel like there might be another podcast between Barb and I in the future. There might be. <laughs> <laughs> for the meantime, I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to another edition of Garner Trucking's Beyond the Cab.